Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. You can find the sermon outline and video for this message at enewlife.com or the New Life Church Kahana mobile app. Well, good morning, everybody. Go ahead and uh, make your way back to your seat, if you would. Happy uh, belated Thanksgiving to you. Hope you had a great time with uh, family and friends this past week. Also, congratulations to our local team for snatching a victory from the uh, team up north yesterday. (laughs) After it seemed to me they were pretty much outplayed the whole game, they still came away with a victory. So, uh, Thank you, Buckeyes, for making us proud. Yes, I did dust off my trestle sweater vest just to commemorate the occasion. Hey, speaking of being proud, I am very proud to be a ministry partner of this church, and and I'm proud of that always, but especially on weekends like last weekend. I just want to share with you a few of the love works that our people were involved with just just on one given weekend. Love works, as you might know, is a, a term that we've coined to describe all of the good things that God's people are doing in our neighborhoods and in our community to spread the love of Jesus. And so just last weekend, uh, we have a pro-life ministry in this church that I'm very proud of. And these are folks that gather on East Main Street on a weekday morning and talk to the young ladies who are heading into a clinic. And their goal is to educate those young women and urge them towards the choice of life. And I'm very proud of that. These gals gathered last uh, weekend for an activity and a breakfast And what they did is they put together, they assembled cold weather care packages, 128 of them full of hats and gloves and socks and scarves and a gospel pamphlet. And they did that because in their interactions um, in the neighborhood there, they sometimes come across homeless people and they wanted to have something to be able to give them in the name of Christ to bless them. And so isn't that cool? I loved hearing about that. But that's not all. Also last weekend was the Holiday Lights Festival right here in our community of Gehanna, which is a great event, takes place in the fall every year, and we were there, uh, 20 volunteers set up a New Life booth and a family activity center, bounce houses and yard games and those sorts of things, passed out candy canes that said, from your friends at New Life Church, and just loved on people and blessed people, and I'm super proud of that as well, but that's not all. Also, there was a team last weekend that came together and packaged and then went out and delivered freshly baked homemade cookies that some of you made to new residents right here in our community of Gehanna. We delivered about 40 gift boxes, just showed up at people's doorstep and said, hey, this is from your friends over at New Life Church. Welcome to the community here. Such a cool thing. I love that, but that's not all. It was also the culmination of our Operation Christmas Child season where Hundreds of you put together shoeboxes full of Christmas toys and goodies to be sent to children all around the world through Samaritan's Purse. And I'm so proud of you for doing that. I think it was over 1,800 boxes in total. They all got packaged up last Sunday, and then a number of you with trucks and so forth took them over to the distribution center to make sure they got where they needed to be. And so that was the culmination of that event as well. So... God bless you guys for serving and loving on people. I like to say we are a gospel-driven church on a love works mission together. 
And I am so proud to be part of a church like that. So thank you, and God bless you for your efforts at loving our neighbors, even as Jesus commanded us, right? Amen. Well, let me say a prayer for us before we dive into God's word this morning. And Father, we thank you for loving us first. We love because you first loved us through sending your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this time of year, Lord, where we remember that and celebrate that. Help us to get started on that journey today. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. And if you haven't yet pulled out the study outline from your worship folder, I encourage you to go ahead and do that so you can kind of keep track with me as I talk this morning. Today, we are joining with millions upon millions of Jesus-loving people all over the globe who are beginning an observance of Advent, a month-long joyful celebration of a birthday, the birthday of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That word Advent means coming, and of course Christmas is a celebration of the first Advent, right? that initial coming of the Savior to our planet just over 2,000 years ago. And really, that was a watershed event in history that Christians look back on with wonder and amazement and gratitude and worship. And so this season, I want to attempt to do my part to help all of us get Christmas right this year. Now, many of you have been getting Christmas right all along, and and I commend you for that, but it's so easy, isn't it, in our culture to get swept up, as Jared mentioned earlier, in all the trappings of Christmas and miss the point of it. I know I'm susceptible to that. In the midst of all the shopping and all the decorating and all the traveling and all the wrapping of presents and all the feasting, the arrival of Emmanuel to this earth can too easily get obscured or even lost altogether. And so I hope you'll resolve in your heart to not let that happen to you this Christmas season. One way you can help ensure that your family will get Christmas right this year is to fully engage with our Advent celebrations every weekend leading right up to Christmas and even on Christmas Day, because Christmas falls on a Sunday this year. Make it a priority. Sign up for those daily Advent texts, and even start now to make plans to attend one of our Christmas Eve celebrations and start praying about who you're going to invite to join you for that. I promise you, we will put the spotlight on the Lord Jesus Christ every week. Well, think back with me now to when Christ made his first appearance here on the earth. After centuries of anticipation and longing by God's people, the announcement was made that Messiah was finally here. You probably know that when people first heard that news, there was a variety of different reactions, some very positive, others not so much. But I got to thinking about this, and and to help us truly get Christmas right this year, what we're going to do is revisit several of those folks and how they responded when they first received word of the arrival of Messiah. And that's going to give us some context for considering our own response to Jesus this Christmas season. And the first person we're going to look at is the man named Joseph. Joseph. And I wonder, what do you know about Joseph? How about if I give you a little true and false quiz on Joseph just to kind of see where you're at, okay? 
You up for that? All right, here's a few questions. Number one, true or false? Joseph was a descendant of the great King David. That is true. You can read about his genealogy in the book of Matthew, descended back to that great king. Number two, true or false, Joseph had 11 brothers who turned against him and sold him into slavery. <laughs> Trick question. There was a Joseph that that happened to, but that's not the Joseph that we're talking about here. Number three, Joseph was a carpenter. True or false? That is true, a woodworker. We are told in the scriptures, a tradesman. Number four, true or false, Joseph was from the town of Nazareth and likely met Mary there. That's true. That was his hometown. They likely met there. Number five, true or false, Joseph was engaged to Mary when she became pregnant. And that is true, although the technical term for their relationship was betrothal. They were betrothed, which was actually stronger than our uh, concept of engagement. It actually took a certificate of divorce to break off a betrothal, uh, even though during that period they, they did not come together in union. But this one is true. It was during that period when she became pregnant. Number six, true or false, we know how old Joseph was when Jesus was born. False, yeah, we don't really know. The scriptures don't tell us. If you look at art from the time of Christ up through the Middle Ages, Joseph is often depicted as an older man, usually a balding man. Uh, somehow since the Middle Ages till now, Joseph got younger in art. But we don't know if he was in his 20s or 30s or maybe even 40s. We're not told. Number seven, the Lord gave Joseph instruction and guidance through two dreams. <laughs> That's also a, a trick question. Actually, there were four dreams, four dreams recorded in Matthew's chapter one and two where God uh, delivered a message to him through an angel. And so I guess that's false. Sorry, I led you astray on that one. Number eight, there are no recorded words of Joseph in the Bible, true or false? That's actually true. We're not given any of the words of Joseph. We're given the the content of what was delivered to him through these dreams, but nothing that he actually said is recorded in Scripture. That's an interesting fact. Number nine, true or false, Joseph was present at Jesus' crucifixion. Yeah, probably false. Joseph kind of disappears as you read through the Gospel accounts, but most scholars and Bible historians agree that Joseph had probably passed on by the time that Jesus entered his public ministry at, at the age of 30. You think about it, the crucifixion when Christ was hanging on the cross and, and there was Mary, his mother, and his disciple John in front of him and he entrusted the care of his mother to John. If Joseph had been alive and had been there, that probably wouldn't have been necessary. And so he probably was not there. And number 10, true or false, Joseph was a great example of faithfulness and obedience to God. And that is true. And we're going to see that in more detail this morning. The reality is not that much is said about Joseph in the Gospels, but if there is one predominant trait that stands out from what is said, it would have to be obedience. Joseph was a man of unquestioning obedience to God. He was known for one primary thing, hearing the voice of God and doing it. Oh, that more of God's redeemed people in our day would mimic Joseph in that regard, amen? Oh, that this Christmas season more of us would resolve to follow in Joseph's footsteps and listen to, to God and his word and obey him without questioning, without doubting, without hesitating. 
without suppressing the voice of God in our lives. And so listen now to the account of Joseph as recorded in Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, listen, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He obeyed. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. What a legacy this man left. What you know, to be known for obedience. Joseph was a man who obeyed God. And obedience honors the Lord. I got to thinking about that. And, and you know, I think obedience has fallen into some disfavor in recent years in our culture. It's not really cool anymore to be known as a submissive person, someone who's compliant, someone who's obedient to authority. I mean, when did you last hear someone say, you know, Jack is just such an awesomely submissive guy. <laughs> it's just not cool anymore in our culture. Honestly, even when it was more of a social norm to be submissive to authority and, and be obedient, I'm not sure that was even really the heartfelt, grace-driven obedience that we see in Scripture and that we see modeled by Joseph. I wonder how deep an imprint was left on the little boy Jesus growing up in a family where he saw dad obeying God. Could it be that God chose Joseph to be the earthly father figure in young Jesus' life for that very reason? So Jesus, growing up, would have a front row seat to that kind of submissive spirit and humble obedience that he saw in his earthly dad. You know what? We can learn from Joseph. We can follow in his footsteps. His was an unquestioning obedience to God that seems rare, I think, in our day, maybe even in his day. I mean, this is some stellar stuff we see in Joseph's life when we look into this account. I'd like us to explore the features of Joseph's obedience, okay? And so number one, note this, that, that Joseph's was an unquestioning obedience even in the wake of being blindsided by devastating news even in the wake of being blindsided by devastating news. I wonder how many people have turned away from God because they got some devastating news. I wonder how many people have turned away from God because bad things happened to them that they couldn't understand or couldn't explain. Many, many, I'm sure. I mean, if you're a guy, how would you feel if your fiancé, whom you loved whom you were excited about being married to, came up to you one day and said, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant, and you knew you weren't the father. Would you be a little upset? 
Well, sure you would, rightfully so. But let me ask, would you also be mad at God? Would you say, well, what's with this God? I mean, here I am trying to follow you. It says he was a just and righteous man. I'm trying to do the right thing, and you let this happen? I know people, some very close to me, who have actually soured on God because they couldn't understand why God would allow painful things happen to them. Abuse. A relationship breakup. A marriage that came apart. Getting ambushed by an unexpected job loss or the loss of their health or a miscarriage or the death of a child or the death of a parent. I know people have gone through all those situations and in in the wake of that, they let themselves become jaded towards God, tainted, disillusioned with Him. The thought of then obeying a God like that became the furthest thing from their mind. But not Joseph. Sure, he he got ambushed by some jolting news. I'm sure that it hurt but he didn't take it out on God. He decided that he would go ahead and obey the Lord despite his world getting rocked by this news from Mary. I think that's incredible obedience, don't you? And yet that's not all. I think Joseph's obedience was also stellar because number two, he obeyed even in the face of suspicion and misunderstanding and ridicule by other people. I mean, think about it. He was living in a very religious community where people expected their friends and their relatives and their neighbors to honor God's law and to be upright, upstanding citizens and to be virtuous. And of course, the, the influence of the Pharisees was pervasive throughout the community and those folks looked down on infidelity in particular, except their own. And now think about it, Joseph's fiance is starting to show a little bit. It's starting to become evident that she's pregnant and people are noticing and people are talking and Facebook is blowing up and eyebrows are raising and, and the explanation that Joseph attempts to offer people who are curious probably sounded ridiculous to him even as it came tumbling out of his mouth. Oh uh, yeah, well yeah, it's, it's true, yes Mary, Mary is pregnant. No, no, it wasn't me. You got to believe me. We, we, we didn't have sexual relations. And I know it sounds strange. She told me she hasn't been with another man either. She's, she's telling me that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right, Joseph. Right. Sure thing. Nice try. Do you think we're stupid? We know what's going on here. You've got to know the smell of scandal was wafting through the air in Nazareth. Juicy gossip was spreading, along with some disgust and some pity and probably some suspicion, and I'm sure all kinds of advice, right? Joseph, just get rid of her. I mean, she's not worthy of you. You deserve better, Joseph. You don't deserve to be treated like that. God has someone better. Why don't you just say goodbye to this sorry gal with the loose morals? And scripture tells us Joseph was inclined to agree. It says he resolved in his heart to divorce Mary quietly, not make a big stink about it, not call for her stoning as Jewish law would have allowed. He would not let this be about public revenge for the sake of preserving his reputation, 
but he did see quietly divorcing Mary as, as a good option. But then the dream, the dream and the message. Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And waking up the next morning, Joseph decided to change course, didn't he? He decided to not give in to fear. He decided to obey God by scrapping the whole divorce idea and going ahead with the wedding plans despite the ridicule, despite the scorn, despite the head shaking. You think it was hard? Think it might have been humiliating? But Joseph obeyed God anyway. And obedience honors God. And I think it's helpful to ask, where did this kind of obedience come from? Where did this uncommon submission to the will of God come from, especially in the face of what seemed like conventional wisdom? And we're given a clue in Matthew's account here. Number three, Joseph's unquestioning obedience arose from his deep trust in the word of God. That's it, really. Joseph believed he'd heard from God in a dream, delivered by an angel. It was unmistakable to him. Something about that dream convinced Joseph that this message was from God. Now, he had been raised in a Jewish home all of his life. He'd been taught all of his life to trust the word of the Lord, and now he had heard it for himself. This was the God that he had heard so much about growing up, all the stories and his training, and and this God was now speaking to him. The God who way back had promised Abraham a multitude of children, even though he and Sarah were childless, who had opened up Sarah's womb and given them a miracle baby, that God was now speaking to Joseph. The God who had wrestled with Jacob at Bethel until he blessed him, the God who later took Joseph's namesake, the other Joseph, from the pit to the palace in Egypt, was speaking to him. The God who had rained down the ten plagues on Pharaoh, who'd split the Red Sea for his people to walk through on dry land, who'd rocked the walls of Jericho until they came a tumbling down and was reduced to rubble, who drove out the Canaanites from the promised land, That was the God who was talking now to Joseph. The God who had emboldened his great, 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 grandfather, David, to be able to slay the great Goliath and then who had elevated David to be king over all the land. That God had seen fit to take note of Joseph and deliver to him a personalized, customized message. And Joseph decided to just go with it, (laughs) to just go with it. He trusted the word of God and he obeyed. What a legacy to leave, amen? Faith-fueled obedience. That's what gets God's attention. That's what honors God. Matthew goes on in his account to give us another clue regarding Joseph's obedience, one that probably dawned on Joseph more and more as time went on. Number four, his unquestioning obedience was prompted by accepting his role in God's redemptive plan. Remember what we read earlier, verse 22? All this took place 
to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Some of you know that was a famous and well-known prophecy from Isaiah 7.14, given some 700 years prior to the events taking place surrounding the birth of Jesus. I wonder when it was exactly that Joseph realized, Mary, that's about us. You're, you're the one. You're the promised virgin of that prophecy, predicted to become pregnant without knowing a man, without having relations with a man. That's about us. Our son is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. You're going to be the mother of God. And by taking you as my wife, Mary, I'm going to become the guardian of God's son, his protector and provider, his earthly father. What emotions must have been swirling around in Joseph's chest as he thought of his privileged place in the plan of God? I believe that as the full weight of this sunk in, it made Joseph want to obey God even more out of gratefulness. You would choose me? Me? What we see in the remaining references to Joseph in the Gospels is exactly that, a continuing, ongoing obedience to God. You know, it's one thing when, when God first invades your life and first opens your eyes to the Word of God. It, it's one thing to have an initial burst of obedience but isn't it quite another thing to day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, continue obeying Christ? One man called it a long obedience in the same direction. And that's what Joseph was known for. That's how Joseph lived his life. I mean, just fast forward a couple years, okay? Jesus is now a toddler, about two years old. And some of you have never before this moment thought about Jesus being a toddler, and doing what toddlers do, you know, running around the house, making a mess of things, knocking things over. Jesus did that. The wise men had made their visit, their mysterious visit to the house. They'd reinforced all the earlier messages about this little child. Their gifts that they brought in particular revealed so much about his identity and his future. And then the magi, the wise men, had gone on their way the local ruler of the land, Herod, King Herod, had gotten wind of the excitement surrounding the arrival of a new ruler, a new king of the Jews who'd come on the scene. Herod was not taking kindly to that announcement. In fact, Herod, in his jealous rage, decided to make sure that no little Jewish boy ever grew up to take his place, to rival him. Matthew picks up the story, chapter 2, verse 13. Now when the Magi, the wise men, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Ah, dream number two. And said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Verse 14, and he, Joseph, rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. There it is. Again, Joseph obeys God immediately, unquestioningly. 
He's two years older now, but no less inclined to do what God has told him to do. And again, it wasn't easy. And really, this time, obeying God meant what? Major disruption to his life. That's the fifth point. Major disruption to his life. It meant uprooting his family on a moment's notice and relocating them to another country. Remember, this wasn't like piling everybody in the van and going down to Tennessee for a few days. Their van was a camel bumping along at a few miles an hour, no paved roads, nothing but dusty desert sand for miles and miles in every direction, daily and nightly being exposed to the elements. This would have taken weeks, this journey would have, and with a toddler in tow. I mean, this isn't like some of us who, you know, if we're going to move, we take the kids over to mom's and drop them off and then pack up the boxes and so forth. No, the whole point of this journey was to take the toddler with them. This was tough obedience, hard, difficult, disruptive. I don't know about you, but when I think of my own willingness to obey God, I realize that sometimes I hesitate if I think that my peaceful, well-ordered life is going to get messed up. I find that too often there are self-made limits that I place on my willingness to obey God. I remember when I first sensed the Lord calling me to go on a short-term missions trip. Now, some people love missions trips. I know Pastor Brian starts getting a little antsy if he doesn't have his next trip scribbled in, penciled in on his calendar. I know Cindy's the same way. But for me, I like sleeping in my own bed. I like walking around the house in my jammies. I like looking at the food on my plate and knowing what it is and knowing what its name is and that it's not moving. I like my rocking chairs in, in every room in my house. I mean, I like my nice, well-ordered life, but it was unmistakable. God was calling me to get out of my comfort zone and go. There were new experiences to have, new people to meet, new, a new perspective to acquire of what God's doing all over the world. And so even though I was tempted to take a pass, I decided to obey. And for me, it was purely a matter of obeying. And so first the island of Dominica, and then India, and then Africa, and then Costa Rica, and while it was life-changing and mind-expanding, and while there were lots of great ministry opportunities to be had and new relationships to form, there were also scary airports, like that one in Dominica. I mean, it's an airport, you know. Oh, my gracious. There was food poisoning. There was a scorpion next to my bed one night that I had to take my shoe and flatten it. They're sleeping under a mosquito net in Uganda. There were long flights, agonizingly long flights that I hope to forget someday. <laughs> Listen, God is committed to maturing his people. God is committed to growing us up in Christ. And part of his process includes calling us to obey him, to do things that are not easy, that are uncomfortable that are disruptive to our nice suburban lifestyle. 
for which there are a hundred reasons seemingly to say, no, no, I'm not going to do it, and maybe only one to say, yes, it's God, and he's calling me. I'm so glad Joseph obeyed God here, aren't you? Think about it. Humanly speaking now, humanly speaking, if Joseph hadn't obeyed God, little Jesus would have been slaughtered in Herod's murderous rampage along with all the other little boys in town. Jesus would have been killed. Our salvation would not have been achieved. But Joseph decided that obeying God was more important than being comfortable. We should all thank God for that. But now this is interesting to me. Did you notice that God only showed Joseph his next step? Not the whole picture, not the whole panorama, just the next step. He did not lay out for Joseph all the intricacies of his complicated plan. He simply told him, Joseph, move down to Egypt and stay there until you hear from me. I'll let you know what your next move is when I see fit. And Joseph said, pack him up, we're going. He obeyed God. He took the one step he knew to take and then waited on the Lord. That's point six. Expectantly awaiting his next instructions from the Lord. Isn't that how God works? I mean, certainly my experience walking with Christ mirrors Joseph's in that regard. As a matter of course, the Lord does not give me the next ten steps I'm supposed to take. He just gives me the next one. Is that how it works for you? Maybe that's why the Bible calls this Christian life that we're on a walk. It's a walk with Christ. It's taking this step, then this one, then this one, then this one, then this one. Each one a step of faith. The Bible says his word is a lamp unto our feet, but the lamplight only shines out to about the next step until you take it. I wonder what your next step is on your journey with Christ. Do you know? Well, what's your next step? And you say, well, I've kind of been sitting in the same place for a while. Know that God is calling you to a next step. This is a walk. This is a journey with Christ. Do you know what your next step is with him? If you say, I have no idea, then, then ask him to show you, Lord, I've been stationary too long. What's my next step that you're calling me to? But if you know what it is, I would ask you this. Are you ready and willing to take that step and obey him? To take the one step you know he wants you to take? Are you? To obey God despite uncertainties about the future beyond that? Despite possible ridicule from other people? Maybe some internal doubts of your own in your own heart? Despite having blown it in the past? despite the fact that it's going to be hard and it's probably going to disrupt your lifestyle. I know a number of people who have trusted God and taken the step of obedience that they knew to take while waiting on God for what's next. I think of the young lady I know who broke off a relationship with a young man because she knew it was becoming unhealthy. She saw that it was becoming displeasing to God. And out of obedience, she broke off the relationship and said, we're done. Proud of her. I think of the husband who risked telling his wife about past sins, 
even though he knew it would be disruptive to their relationship for a while. He obeyed God. Proud of him. Think of my friend who's making plans right now to have a very awkward conversation, a very hard and awkward conversation with another person who's convinced that he offended him years ago. Proud of him for that. I think of the young man who decided to go on a mission trip, even though he knew, he knew it will stretch him beyond his comfort zone. I think of the couple who decided to honor their aging parents, their aging and ailing parents, by making arrangements for them to be cared for in their own home. Obedience. What hard step of obeying God might he be calling you to these days? Without knowing what will follow, just trusting him to take the one step that you know to take to honor God. Well, I think we should thank God for the example of Joseph's unquestioning obedience. And you know what? I have to believe it rubbed off on his son. Jesus grew up in a home where he saw his dad obeying God. I have to believe it influenced him to do the same. And for Jesus, obeying God would be harder. Much, much harder. Listen to this from the writer of Hebrews. In the days of his flesh, the days of his humanity, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Did you know this? To him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he what? learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Paul put it this way in Philippians 2, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus did learn to obey the heavenly Father just like his earthly father Joseph had, but he didn't learn it like everybody else has to. By disobeying and then experiencing the consequences, no, Jesus never disobeyed, not one time in his 33 years. Jesus' obedience was learned and perfected in the crucible of suffering, unjust suffering, especially during that final year, his 33rd year when The Father called him to accept and endure unimaginable agony. She did not deserve and to do it for love. I'm telling you, that was hard. That was hard obedience. For Jesus Jesus to obey perfectly meant letting evil people charge him with blasphemy. It meant accepting the sentence of crucifixion, a humiliating, dehumanizing form of death. You think that disrupted his life any? It meant staying the course even after absorbing what must have been the most devastating news that he was not just to pay for sin but become sin for us. It meant enduring a barrage of undeserved ridicule and scorn during his life and especially while he was hanging on the cross. Scorn the likes of which no one ever before or since has faced. Hanging there on the cross, they were jeering at him. Can you hear him? If you're the Son of God, 
like you've claimed to be, come down off that cross. Then turning to each other saying, he saved others, why can't he save himself? Not understanding that to truly save others, he couldn't save himself. He was compelled to give his life. Despite all of that, your Lord, my Lord, did not flinch. He did not turn aside. He went through with it. He obeyed. His obedience, like his earthly father's obedience, came from a deep trust in the word of God. It also, like Joseph's, was prompted by an understanding of his role in God's redemptive plan, his role as a substitute. Do you realize that in the garden of Gethsemane, laid out there, agonizing over his fate, which he knew was coming, he said, I, I could call 72,000 angels in, with a word, and they'll come and rescue me and whisk me away from this travesty. Did he do it? No. He set his face like a flint towards the cross for your sake and mine. He covered our disobedience with his obedience. Isn't that awesome? That's one of a thousand reasons why I love being a Christian. My Savior died for me. And when he cried out, it is finished and completed his devastating obedience, he too waited expectantly for his next instruction from the Father, which would come three days later. Arise, my son. Arise. Death no longer has a hold on you. No more death sting. No more suffering. Arise. And he obeyed and came out of the grave. You see, while Joseph's obedience saved Jesus from certain death, Jesus' obedience unto death saved all of God's people throughout all generations. And when I think about that, I ask this question. If he could go to such great lengths to obey God out of love for us, how can we not also give ourselves to obey him out of love for him? As Jesus himself said, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Obedience is the proof, the evidence, the outflow, the outworking of love. And so I finish this morning by asking you to contemplate this question. What step of loving obedience, what step of loving obedience is God calling you to take these days in your life? Would you join me in prayer? Our response this morning in a few moments is going to be to partake of communion together. Many of you noticed the elements up here on the stage as you walked in. As you think about these elements that represent the body, the crushed body and the shed blood of, of your Lord and Savior Jesus, I want you to think about communion in, in this way this morning. Would you think about it as a commemoration of the obedience of Jesus who humbled himself and became obedient unto death? Can you see the elements as representing Jesus obeying his Father in being our sacrificial substitute for our sins? 
Our Father, as we prepare our hearts now to come in just a moment and partake, would you open our eyes to this beautiful reality that the obedience of Jesus covers our disobedience when we repent? It's like the blood of Christ washes it away. We are given his righteousness. Lord, may we feel, as we walk up here in a moment, may we feel your call to us to obey as your son obeyed, to give ourselves to you in submission, humility, and willingness to do what you've called us to do. Impress upon our hearts and minds now that step that we know to take. We may not know 10 steps from now or 100 steps from now, but we know that next one. And may our partaking of your table this morning signify us saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I will obey you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's word and seek to know him better through the gospel. Our prayer is that the gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.